With states around the U.S. still in the midst of the Delta wave of the COVID-19 virus, a new variant has been discovered in South Africa. The media and the Fauciites are wasting no time to get ready for another round of panic porn, mandates, maybe even lockdowns. Omicron is here. Friends, let's make sense of all this. It's time for Hold the Line. Every day, the World Health Organization identified the new variant. I took immediate steps to restrict travel from countries in Southern Africa. But while we have that travel restrictions can slow the speed of Omicron, it cannot prevent it. But here's what it does. It gives us time, it gives us time to take more actions, to move quicker, to make sure people understand you have to get your vaccine. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. So you heard Joe Biden there saying it. It's about giving people more time, right? It's about making sure that we can handle this Omicron. He said Omicron. He meant Omicron variant. We don't know how dangerous, how easily spread. We don't know very much of anything about it other than there's a lot of mutations on it. And so right now there's a tremendous amount of guesswork around, well, I should say informed guesswork, but it's early stages around what does this really mean? But let's just take a step back and look at the policies for a second here, because the first thing they're doing is a travel ban from South Africa. Now, keep in mind, South Africa is not the only place where Omicron variant has been found. It's just the first place to find or to identify that variant of COVID-19. So it's already in other places. And yet the Biden administration has implemented a lockdown. Here's Biden explaining why he's doing that. I want to, again, the reason for the immediate travel ban is there were a significant number of cases, unlike any other country, well, the few around South Africa in the world. We needed time to give people an opportunity to say, get that vaccination now before it heads. It's going to move around the world. I think it's almost inevitable there will be at some point that uh, that strain here in the United States. Uh, a travel ban, by the way, I said lockdown. I meant travel ban. The point here being, why are they going to do this when it's already spreading? It's already in a lot of places, and there's no chance that this is really going to stop that phenomenon. Oh, it's yet another opportunity for the Biden administration to tell everybody to get the shot. Now, people have had plenty of time to get the shot in this country. Uh, a huge, huge, huge number of particularly senior citizens who are at risk and who should, by the numbers, get the shot. Uh, and many of them are getting boosters right now. But why are we having this as yet another instance, another time when the pressure gets turned on? Well, because they want every man, woman, and child to get the shot. And the Biden administration will be unsatisfied until that occurs. The shot plus the booster. How many boosters? They don't know. They're just going to keep pushing everyone to get the shot and or the, or the shot and the booster, depending on where they are in this whole process. Little Fauci also showed up today alongside President Biden to explain why the travel ban is a good idea. Here's what he says. When you diminish or stop or block travel from a particular country, yeah. there's a reason for that. It's to give you time to do things. So don't let this, this uh, uh, decision that was made about blocking the travel from certain countries yeah. go without a positive effect. And the positive effect is to get us better prepared to rev up on the vaccination, to be, to be really ready for something that may not actually be a big deal, but we want to make sure that we're prepared for the worst. And that's what we should be doing. That was on Sunday, I meet the president. He did appear today alongside President 
Joe Biden. And first of all, the, the ramping up vaccination, really? I mean, it's been now how many hundreds of millions of vaccine doses already? What does he really think is going to happen over the next few days, the next few weeks, as we figure out what the truth of Omicron is? All of a sudden, all these people are going to say, you know what, now I'm finally going to get vaccinated. Maybe some, but enough to make a difference in a mass epidemiological sense? Very, very unlikely. But there's a whole other component of this, too. What were they saying back when, in January of 2020, when President Trump was in charge, uh, when he decided to have a travel ban on China for a finite period of time as we were getting ready for the virus. For the first time ever, we knew so much less about it. How dangerous was it really? All of that. Here is the way that Biden referred to Trump's travel ban in January of 2020 from China. Coronavirus emanated from China. A national emergency, you know, worldwide alerts. The American people need to have a president who they can trust what he says about it, that he is going to act rationally about it. In moments like this, this is where the credibility of president is most needed, as he explains what we should and should not do. This is no time for Donald Trump's record of hysteria, xenophobia, hysterical xenophobia, to uh, and fear monger. What? Yeah, I know. He's the president of the United States, everybody. It's pretty remarkable, isn't it? So what are we supposed to do in the meantime? We're finding out what the situation is with Omicron. There's already a very prominent South African scientist who has come out to say it looks like it's actually milder than the previously existing COVID strain, which if that's true would be really good news for a whole bunch of obvious reasons. But what are we going to do now to stop the Omicron variant? Oh, that's right. The things that we've been doing all along that haven't stopped other variants like indoor mask wearing. Watch. And as additional protections, please wear your mask when you're indoors, in public settings, around other people. Yeah, of course. Joe Biden really means that, by the way, right? I mean, he understands how important it is to set the right example. He understands what, how the tone matters from his White House and all this stuff, right? Here is Joe Biden on Saturday in a store with, oh, oh, look at that, required face covering. And yet, is his face covered? No, it's not. Why? Because, you see, he's important. He's important. You have to obey because you're a dirty COVID spreader. Joe Biden gets to make the rules, and therefore he doesn't have to obey because he's awesome and important. That's the way this goes. If that's not the way it goes, well, then why doesn't Jen Psaki have a better answer than this when Peter Ducey in the White House today presses her on it? Okay, we saw the president shopping indoors on Saturday behind glass that says face covering required, but his face was uncovered. Why? The president is uh, somebody who follows uh, the, the recommendations and the advice of the CDC. I don't know what the circumstances were of that particular moment. The president does what he does, but he doesn't do it. He follows the CDC advice, except we have a photo of him not following CDC advice. And you could say, oh, well, no one's perfect. Right. So the president can't actually set a good example when it comes to mask wearing. Only when the cameras are around that he knows about, right? Mm. Does it feel like coronavirus has been defeated? Remember when we talked about all that? When that's when they promised us? Here's Biden back on the campaign trail days saying that he was going to shut down the virus. 
What I would say is I'm going to shut down the virus, not the country. I'm not going to shut down the country. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'll shut down the virus, not the economy. I'm going to shut down the virus. Once we shut down the virus, I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm going to shut down the virus. I'm not going to shut down the country, but I'm going to shut down the virus. Yeah, it hasn't happened. Not a surprise. We have more on the looming threat from the so-called Omicron variant. Is it a threat or is it just a less dangerous version of COVID? Maybe it spreads more easily. We don't know. We'll find out. The president and CEO of Geovax Labs, David Dodd, is with us. Let's talk about securing your digital identity. Big tech is taking advantage of us. They're mining our data, remining our data, selling our data. Guess what? We don't benefit from it whatsoever. All the while, they count their money and they abuse your privacy. So if you really think your emails, texts, and messages are private, guess what? They're not. This is where Secure comes in. Secure's email platform is 100% private. It's Swiss hosted. They use their own servers in Switzerland. They have no ties to American big tech companies. With Secure, there's no data mining whatsoever. It's completely private. This is what makes Secure different from every other email and messaging provider out there. Secure is the best email platform in the world when it comes to security and privacy. It is unmatched. Look, there's a reason Secure built their company the way they did. We need to make a stand and take back our privacy from the big tech monopolies. With my discount code BUCK, Secure will only cost you $7.50 a month, $7.50 a month for full access. That's nothing. Go to secure.com today and create your secure email address and account. Use promo code BUCK for 25% off for a whole year. That's secure.com, S-E-K-U-R.com, promo code BUCK. And we'll be right back with more Hold the Line. This variant is a cause for concern, not a cause for panic. We have the best vaccine in the world, <clears throat> the best medicines, the best scientists, and we're learning more every single day. President Biden addressing the nation earlier today on the threat of the new coronavirus variant, Omicron. But unlike the Delta variant, one of the biggest challenges the White House and top medical experts are now facing is whether or not the existing vaccines will give full protection against this mutated variant. Check this out. If you talk to people in vaccine circles, people who are working on a vaccine, they have a pretty good degree of confidence that a boosted vaccine, so three full doses of vaccine, is going to be fairly protective against this new variant. We do know that this is a variant that has a lot of mutations, like 50 of them. It does make you worry, therefore, that it's a sufficiently different virus that it might not respond as well to protection from the vaccines, but we don't know that. Okay, so let me get this straight. Biden says there's no reason to panic. The NIH director says it's too early to tell whether or not the vaccine will protect against Omicron fully. And the former FDA chief uh, says if you have three jabs, you should be protected. So what are we to make of all this? Let's ask president and CEO of GeoVax Labs, David Dodd. David, thanks for being with us. You're welcome. So medical experts are saying it could take up to two weeks to figure out how contagious Omicron is and also the efficacy of the current vaccines against it. Why does it take two weeks? Why can't they give us a little bit of a sense sooner than that? Mainly, it's a very good point that you raised, but it's, it's primarily because we're, we're still learning about the structure of, of this variant of Omicron. So until we fully understand that, it's hard to really determine. But that's because we're dealing with vaccines currently that only uh, include one, one particular component of the virus, which relates to the spike protein. 
the product that we have, which is currently in clinical testing at City of Hope, uh, underway in, a, in, a, in, in two clinical trials out there, as well as a, another one we're working on is our universal, contains multiple components of the uh, structure of the virus. And we believe that we're already uh, prepared for Omicron. That's why we've designed the vaccine the way we've done it, is our technology allows us to insert different elements of the virus. So we've done that. It's taken us longer to get here, but we think we're ready for Omicron. We're, we're ready for Pi when it emerges. Uh, and that's the difference in the technologies. So the World Health Organization says the global risk of this variant is, quote, very high, and future surges may have extreme consequences. Biden, meanwhile, is telling the country not to panic. So it sounds like, David, we're at a place where no one really knows how bad it's going to be and no one should panic. But also, we don't know. Is that I mean, how do you assess this? That's exactly right. Now, now the, the, the physicians who have had the most experience with it in South Africa are indicating that while it may be more contagious, it seems to be uh, less severe. If that's the case, then, then we're fine. Because keep in mind that, that this virus in general, I mean, SARS-CoV-2 has a, a very low uh, mortality rate and, and low hospitalization rate in the context of things. It's like over 95% or 94 plus percent of people who receive it uh, end up uh, recovering and, and dealing with it fine. It's for those people who have underlying medical conditions, who are compromised immune systems. All, those are the ones that are at risk and we need to really worry about. But in general, uh, we're still learning about this. But again, it's the approach. If you have to go back every time there's a variant and then decide how are you going to reconfigure it, we're always going to be chasing the variants. What we're doing at Geovax, and we'll be talking about it tomorrow at the World Vaccine Conference, which is uh, underway in San Diego this week, is we'll be talking about how our data is demonstrating success towards a universal coronavirus, or referred to as a pan-coronavirus, where we try to encompass the variants before they emerge. And that's the difference in approaches. So right now, there are efforts underway then to create a variant of the vaccine, if you will, that would be effectively the all-in-one coronavirus? Is, is that what I'm gathering from you? That's what it sounded like. Correctly. What we have is a design of a vaccine, which so far has been shown through animal testing. And then we have an, another vaccine that's already in human testing that, that includes two components of the virus, both from the antibody standpoint and from the cellular immunity. That's different than what you see with the mRNA, which only focus on the S protein or the antibody generating or the, the, the basically the predominant protein. And we believe with the universal approach using multiple components, we can encompass uh, what would be emerging variants before they come to fruition, rather than always having to chase and say and go back to, is it going to be 100 days? Is it going to be 30 days? How long is it going to take for us to now redevelop a vaccine based on the latest version of the virus that we're dealing with? I mean, we cannot we cannot continue to be chasing the variants. What we need to be able to do is get ahead of the variants, encompass them. And we believe our technology, which is going to be discussed this week in the current vaccine that is in human testing right now uh, in California, we think that that will show much broader immune response and the ability to capture, to capture a variant before it emerges. Should parents of five to 12 year olds who are now allowed to get the vaccine under the, under the new guidance is, should they, you know, how, how do they space this out uh, if they get it? Do we know how long children should wait before they would get, say, an updated shot or a booster shot? I mean, what, what's the latest on the schedule of how parents should approach this for their kids, again, based on the, you know, the official guidance? 
Well, the official guidance is that children starting at age five ought to be considered and receive the vaccine. But there's very little data. There was a total of about 3,000 children in the studies that showed that, uh, that you know, that, that's, that's been based upon and all. I would urge parents to first and foremost have have significant dialogue with their pediatricians, their children's doctors, to find out are they basing their recommendations on simply what they're seeing coming out of CDC, or are they basing it on their on on those physicians doing actual research of what is out there in the data? Because children have such a very low risk of of, of harm and contracting this disease that I think this is an individual decision between a parent and their physician and what they determine is best in their situation. So the World Health Organization put out a statement today on Omicron that said that the heavily mutated coronavirus Omicron variant is likely to spread internationally and poses a very high risk of infection surges that could have severe consequences. Is there any evidence that we've seen that it's more dangerous to people or is it just that there is a, 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 there's a lot of these, there are a lot of these mutations, and so that's really where all the concern comes from? So far, it's pri primarily from the latter, that there, there are ongoing mutations, ongoing uh, evolution of this uh, variant, and, and people are very concerned. Now, they're concerned for all the right reasons. The, these are, are people who are thinking the best they can about what are the best implications for public health when there's very little data upon which they can make a, a legitimate scientific decision at this stage. But they're well-intended, and I think the same thing with the, the concept of, of vaccinating young children is well-intended, but I think people have to look at it and go through the, the data, either themselves or through their physicians, and really look into it, see what the basis is, and then make their own decisions. Here's President Biden today on the status of these vaccinations as an overall program and where we're heading. Watch. I expect this not to be the new normal. I expect the new normal to be everyone ends up getting vaccinated in the booster shot. So we reduce the number of people who aren't protected. So the new normal is everyone gets vaccinated in a booster, but just real quick, David, does that mean boosters for the foreseeable future? So multiple boosters? Well, that, that's the concern. With the current vaccines that are out there, you could easily say it's not gonna just simply be a third shot, there'll be a fourth and a fifth shot. We're actually uh, doing a clinical trial uh, that is, is initiating this week, a phase two clinical trial where it's utilizing uh, our vaccine on top of the Pfizer rather than simply a third shot. We believe that with a vaccine that generates both antibody as well as cellular immunity, you have a better booster than simply giving a third shot, the same shot again, but simply at a different dose. We, we think uh, that long-term you need to have boosters that are configured differently to enhance the immune response rather than just simply doubling, tripling up. David, really interesting. Appreciate the expertise on this one. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. Take care. Between organized looting in Bay Area cities and mass murder in Waukesha, Wisconsin, left-wing prosecutors who go easy on criminals have come under increased scrutiny in recent days. So just how are these progressive district attorneys getting elected? We come back. Heritage Foundation legal fellow Zach Smith shines a spotlight on the man behind the curtain, George Soros. Right now, I want to tell you about my friends at My Digital Money. Crypto market is hot right now. Everybody wants to get on the action, right? But where do you get started? Bitcoin, Ethereum, there are so many dozens of digital tokens out there. That's where My Digital Money comes in. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with concierge-level customer service. It's one of the few U.S.-based crypto companies that will answer your phone call and help you get started. And because your comfort and security is their top priority, they offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, 
trigger orders to help you secure opportunities without having to watch your account 24-7, and a Play Money account so you can test the market. Look, My Digital Money is the way to go. These guys have your back. They're professionals. They'll treat you well. Go to MyDigitalMoney.com. Again, that's MyDigitalMoney.com. We'll be right back. If radical change in criminal justice is what big city residents are looking for, they certainly got it. For years now, there's been a concerted effort on the left to replace tough-on-crime district attorneys around the country with progressive activists. Today, we're seeing the results of that in cities like San Francisco, Oakland, Waukesha, where crime is spiraling out of control and violent criminals are allowed back onto the street far before they should be by any reasonable standard. So what's behind all this? Well, billionaire George Soros, in part, who has poured millions of dollars into campaigns for progressive district attorneys. For more on this, Zach Smith, legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, joins me to share his insight. Zach, thanks for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me on. First, can you just give us a sense of how widespread is this? Uh, Often we'll talk about prosecutors like Chesa Boudin in San Francisco, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia. Those are two progressive prosecutors that do get some headlines because they've been so weak on prosecuting crimes. But where is this? Do we have any sense of how many progressive prosecutors in major cities are calling the shots? Yeah, unfortunately, this really is a nationwide phenomenon, Buck. Not only do you have those prosecutors you mentioned, you also have rogue Soros-backed prosecutors in places like Chicago with Kim Fox, Baltimore with Marilyn Mosby, uh, Los Angeles with George Gascon, and the list could go on and on. But unfortunately, wherever these rogue prosecutors are in power, uh, the results are really the same. You're seeing they're refusing to prosecute crimes, and as a result, crime rates, especially violent crime rates, are increasing. So how does this work exactly? Because as you, I'm sure, know, if anyone brings up Soros backing, immediately they're, they're labeled by many on the left, oh, a conspiracy theory. So, you know, where do we know, how do we know that Soros, George Soros, or his you know, money and his foundations are going to back these prosecutors? Are there, are there records? Walk us through that process a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. This is something that my colleague Cully Simpson and I have been tracking really for the past year and a half. And in fact, we wrote a white paper explaining where the money's coming from and where it's going. And so if you look at campaign finance records, George Soros and a couple of other left-leaning billionaires are financing just scores and scores of these campaigns around the country. And again, uh, they are candidates Uh, for these district attorney positions who are pushing a radical left-wing agenda that really seeks to fundamentally transform our criminal justice system into something that none of us today would recognize. So there are financial records then that show George Soros backing. Do we have some sense of how much money we're talking about here? And how much money does it take to really be helpful in a district attorney's race? I think a lot of people think, you know, that they don't even really doesn't even come to mind that district attorneys are elected in a whole lot of places. People don't tend to get as energized about that as they do other political elections. 
Well, that's exactly right, Buck. And I think it's important to put this into context. You know, typically DA races, they're often uncontested. They're often low dollar affairs. But what George Soros and his allies have done, they've essentially figured out a way to short circuit the system. They've targeted specific races. They've poured in millions of dollars. Go look at the campaign records. That was the case in Philadelphia with Larry Krasner. That was the case in Chicago with Kim Fox, as well as with other candidates around the country. And they basically overwhelmed the system so that these rogue prosecutors get in power and again are really implementing this top-down left-leaning agenda that seeks to broadly decriminalize uh, very egregious conduct uh, in many cases. How long has Soros been doing this? Do we have some sense as, uh, as to whether or not this has just accelerated in recent years? Is there some specific event that seems to have been a turning point when all of a sudden the well-known leftist billionaire decided that getting the most soft on crime prosecutors possible into major cities uh, was going to be an important part of, of his agenda, which quite honestly is what it looks like. Well, it really kicked into high gear in the 2016 election cycle. That's when we started to see some of these high-profile wins in places like Philadelphia, Chicago, as well as some other cities around the country. But look, Buck, I think what needs to be highlighted here is that George Soros and his allies essentially figured out that instead of doing the hard work, the difficult task of getting legislative majorities in many of these states to change laws that they disagree with, they've essentially backed these rogue prosecutors who are achieving many of their same policy goals by failing to do their jobs, failing to prosecute crimes, and essentially nullifying laws that they simply disagree with. This is something that's unheard of in our criminal justice system. It is not prosecutorial discretion as has been traditionally understood. And again, I think the results speak for themselves. Not only do violent crime rates increase, but at the core, it promotes a culture of lawlessness. President Biden, this is what you wrote in uh, your Heritage article, um, has selected radical prosecutors from around the country. We've been talking about this, right? Uh, Rachel Rollins in Massachusetts is one of them. And uh, you wrote about her, sorry, that Senator Tom Cotton once made clear, it's rare for the president to nominate a radical pro-criminal prosecutor for a U.S. attorney position. Rachel Rollins is the very epitome of a Soros prosecutor. We call them rogue prosecutors because of her radical pro-criminal anti-victim policies that harm victims, harm communities, and attempt to fundamentally transform our criminal justice system. What are some of the things that Rachel Rollins and other progressive prosecutors, I mean, what are their, uh, you know, what, what's their, guide, their guiding principles, so to speak, for their jobs? Like, why are they progressive prosecutors? What do they do differently other than just the, gen the generic soft on crime label, what are they doing differently? Well, they're usurping the role of the state legislatures. I'll give you an example. Rachel Rollins has put out a list of 15 crimes that someone can now commit in Boston, crimes that are on the books that were passed by the state's legislature that she won't prosecute someone for. And to give you an example of how radical her policies are, under these 15 crimes, under her own guidance she sent to her staff, someone could break into your home, be in possession of cocaine, and then resist arrest when the police showed up, and she wouldn't prosecute you for any of those crimes as long as you said that you did all of that just to get out of the inclement weather or did that because you were hungry or in need in some way. Uh, that's a radical policy. It's a dangerous policy and one that, frankly, 
uh, would not serve her well uh, in the increased responsibility of a U.S. attorney role, uh, the chief federal law enforcement officer in Massachusetts, uh, which the Biden administration has nominated her to be. I've seen that there are some states that aren't just sitting around allowing this to happen because it's usually cities where these progressive prosecutors are most uh, apparent in their in their actions, the way they're subverting the law. There's a, there's a law being considered in Virginia uh, that would allow the attorney general for the state to step in if the DA refuses to prosecute certain cases. What do you make of that? Well, I think we're seeing that citizens are getting fed up with these local prosecutors, these rogue prosecutors not doing their jobs and allowing lawlessness and crime to fester. Look, not only are we seeing the efforts in Virginia uh, to transfer some prosecutorial authority to the state attorney general, but also in other places, especially in San Francisco with Chase Aboudin, we're seeing an effort to recall him. Uh, and it looks like that recall effort is going to be on the ballot uh, next year. And so I think as the consequences of these policies become increasingly apparent, I hope and I think we're going to see citizens giving more and more pushback and pushing these rogue prosecutors to do their jobs, enforce the laws, and prosecute criminals and seek justice for victims. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. A big shakeup in the world of social media as Twitter's Jack Dorsey announced today that he'll be stepping aside as the company's CEO. Up next, the first Tina Lowe stops by to give her take on it. But let's talk about protecting the most valuable asset, your home. You have homeowner's insurance for a good reason, because without it, a fire, flood, or burglary could destroy you financially. But there's another major crime your homeowner's policy doesn't cover called home title fraud. The FBI calls home title fraud one of the fastest growing crimes. It can ruin you financially, which is why you need home title lock. Title fraud happens when a criminal forges your signature on documents stating you sold your home to him. Then he takes out loans against your home and leaves you with the payments. You'll spend a fortune in legal fees trying to prove you didn't commit fraud. Home Title Lock puts a barrier around your home's title. That's what you need. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim. Enter code RADIO for 30 days of free protection. That's code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. Again, code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. Ian Lowe stops by when we come back. Jack Dorsey steps down as Twitter's CEO, replaced by the company's chief technology officer, Parag Agrawal. Does this mean censorship will intensify on the massive social media site? Here's what the incoming CEO said in a November 2020 interview with Technology Review. Our role is not to be bound by the First Amendment, focusing less on thinking about free speech, but thinking about how the times have changed. Huh. That seems a little bit uh, ominous for those of us who are big free speech defenders. Joining me now is contributor here at The First TV and columnist at The Washington Examiner, Tina Lowe. Tina, what do you make of this? So it's predictable that, that any change in staffing at Twitter is going to result in a more censorious company because we all know the ways that the winds are shifting. You know, 2016, they try and blame uh, Clinton's loss on fake news. 2020 just sort of drove it into uh, overtime. You know, you have now entire beats of reporters just on not even disinformation, but misinformation. The idea that something can be the truth, but if you don't present the right context of the truth or the left-approved narrative of the truth, that it's not actually the truth. So the, ba the big issue that Twitter is going to have going forward is that Jack Dorsey 
was one of the few CEOs in spirit who believed that his platform was designed for some sort of concept of free expression. Obviously, the hypocrisy was rampant. The fact that the Chinese Communist Party is allowed to have their whole host of accounts, you have actual genocide deniers from Iran, and yet, you know, we're deplatforming people for saying women are women, and you know, deplatforming President Trump on January 6th. Um, but still, Dorsey at least held the conviction on principle of free expression. His successor clearly does not. He has talked about Twitter's priority in the sense of harm reduction rather than truth, objective truth versus lies and falsehoods. Um, and you know, Jack Dorsey, for all the fact that he's sort of a personal weirdo, this is a guy who eats five meals a week, starts off his mornings with ice baths, you know. He was not the one who has been making Twitter more woke and worse. You know, on January 6th, the decision to take President Trump off of the platform, that was not his call. He was offline on some island on vacation. That was Vijaya Gad, who's one of the chief legal officers there. Um, and so those are the people who are gonna be making the big decisions going forward. And that should scare people who, who, who still like Twitter as at least a realm of somewhat free expression. Speaking of who's making the call here and whether we should, those of us who believe in free speech at some level, I know it's a private company, we get into all these, you know, public marketplace versus, uh, but putting that aside for a second, uh, if they are, or rather public square and private, private company, if they're not going to make a distinction, this is what Agrawal, the new CEO tweeted, I think in 2010, if they are not going to make a distinction between Muslims and extremists, then why should I distinguish between white people and racists. Uh, yeah, that's that's not making me feel like this guy is going to be a friend of free speech necessarily. Seems like kind of a strange thing to say. Yeah, Who's my they? understanding is my understanding is that was plucked from a um, Daily Show segment back at the time. Um, but you know, let's be real. If this were a high school kid and we were the New York Times trying to figure out if he had you know, once expressed a racist view 10 years ago, the mainstream media would be all over this. But instead you had a bunch of you know, misinformation reporters jumping to uh, Agrawal's defense over this. Wait, wait, so, um, so wait, this, is, this is important because I hadn't heard this before. So that's actually, they're saying that that tweet was like a joke? It wasn't a joke. It was pulling a line from a Daily Show segment from 2010. My understanding is that uh. it's supposed to be, you know, not be in serious, right? But what is the standard for, for how we vet and how we decide who gets canceled and who doesn't? I mean, again, we've seen the New York Times actually use years old Snapchats that got screenshotted to get a high school girl withdrawn or kicked out of her college. We've seen, the, but the fact that he is a very important big tech CEO means that the rules won't apply to him. You again, you immediately had all these reporters jumping to his defense. And I'm glad that that's the rule, but that should be the rule for everyone. That should not be a privilege reserved for the powerful. So, okay, that, that it's very interesting. I hadn't heard anybody about the Daily Show thing, so thank you for bringing that to our attention. So what do we think here about Agrawal in charge? I mean, my, my colleague today on radio, Clay Travis, was saying he just has a feeling that, you know, whoever replaces Dorsey over there is likely to be more woke but Dorsey's kind of a weird guy, so we don't really know. Do we know what Agrawal's politics are? When it comes to free so, speech, more importantly than anything else. 
So, I mean, again, I think he's made it clear that he has less fealty to free speech because anytime, anytime one of these, you know, social media platforms starts talking about harm reduction, you know, they aren't talking about BLM protesters demanding calls to riots. You know, they are talking about social conservatives specifically. Um, the one point positive, I guess, if we're, you know, really reaching here is that Agrawal's background is in engineering. And, you know, usually the engineering wings of these companies are less woke in comparison than, you know, legal office there, or There are publicity. fewer gender studies majors, yes. Yes, yes. But then again, we're still talking about the difference between, you know, Mao, Stalin, and Lenin, not, Ooh. you know, Bill Clinton versus Jimmy Carter here. So, I mean, this is why, I mean, I, I, I believe that Section 230 is important because I think that by removing it, really the only voices you would have would be institutional voices like the New York Times. But that being said, diversify. I have no, I, I actively encourage people sign up for your Substack. You know, start putting out your stuff on Instagram. Try out other social media platforms. I don't think there's anything wrong with trying out Getter or Parler or any of these other things. Have your own email list because. You cannot put all your eggs in the Twitter basket. And I say this is someone who probably spends way too much time on Twitter. Yeah, don't we all, at least in the media, I should say. People watching this are like, what are you talking yeah. about? I don't waste my time on that <laughs> crappy site. Which, by the way, congratulations and don't. Except if you're following Tina and me, because our tweets are awesome. Yeah. But other than that, um, how, but just real quick, how do we have any... Uh, I feel like this would be a good thing for us to follow up on here. Maybe you can do a little bit of digging around, as Tina does. Uh, the conservative... The conservative project to build a free speech space on the internet, uh, Rumble, Parler, um, uh, Locals. Do we know how that's coming along, where that's going? So my understanding is that the growth is actually pretty big when it comes to Rumble and Locals, I think, was just acquired. Mm -hmm. And like the fact yes. that you even have the fact that you even have people, you know, like Tulsi Gabbard and Glenn Greenwald, who I get that they're part of like the anti-woke left, but still people from across the aisle. I think it's because let's be real, Buck, what is one of the most enjoyable parts of Twitter? Dunking on idiot liberals. These sites will be boring if we only have liberals on one side and only have conservatives on the other side. Like, you know, you don't want Rumble to be a place where it's all of us just debating national conservatism and Burke, right? You have to have both sides engaged. And I, I think that's I, what's going I agree. On. I never thought of it that way. We need stupid libs to dunk on. So we got to at we least do, bring some do. of them in. Yeah. I mean, how boring would it be if, if, if Jennifer Rubin ever got kicked off Twitter? I mean, Max oh, yeah. Boone, you know, all these people that we just enjoy dunking on. That's part of the fun, Buck. And I do think that to an extent, Twitter is still fundamentally a business. It still has stakeholders to answer to. Every decision that they make is going to come with their, with their market valuation in mind. And I think they know that there's a line. It's one thing to kick off Milo Yiannopoulos and Trump after January 6th. It's another thing to purge the rest of us who drive their outrage clicks. So I, know, I think I think, I, I think they want to purge the Buckster, but we'll have to talk about that <laughs> another time. Tina, thanks for being with us. Good to see you. Thanks, Buck. Matthew McConaughey makes a big announcement about his not so big political future, and uh, we'll bring you that story coming up in Quick Hits. I want to tell you one more time about my digital money. It seems like everybody wants to get into crypto these days. A lot of them for the first time. Bitcoin, Ethereum. There are a lot of digital tokens out there. But it's not easy to get started. That's why you need My Digital Money. It's an easy-to-use, self-trading crypto IRA platform with incredible customer service. It's one of the few U.S.-based crypto companies that will answer your phone call and help you get started. 
Because your comfort and security is their absolute top priority, they offer an unparalleled military-grade security for your coins, trigger orders to help you secure opportunities for gains or limit losses without having to watch your account. Even a Play Money account, so you can test the market without risking money. My Digital Money is the way to go. If you want to start your crypto investment journey, go with My Digital Money. Go to MyDigitalMoney.com. Again, that's MyDigitalMoney.com. Quick hits coming up next. Stay with us. Matthew McConaughey announces he will not run for Texas governor. Okay, so I guess that's a new story. And the mayor of San Francisco is caught yet again violating one of her COVID mandates. What's her excuse going to be this time? Well, let's get into it in quick hits. But first, Dr. Fauci. Anthony Fauci. He's a guy that you see on TV, like, feels like every five minutes. He's constantly on television telling you, we don't know this, we don't know that, but mask up, be scared, lockdown, maybe, who knows? You know, it's the usual stuff from Fauci, right? And I think more and more people are waking up to the fact that this guy's a problem. Um, he, some of us have known it from the beginning, but there's much more than just science going on here with this guy because, well, for one thing, he will make the claim, and he's serious, that he is science. Anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there. So it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science because I represent science. That's dangerous. To me, that's more dangerous than the slings and the arrows that get thrown at me. And if you damage science, you are doing something very detrimental to society long after I leave. So he is science? The guy that lied to us about masks. The guy that said we should shut down schools when that was insane for COVID. And we all know this now, right? He is science. Wow. That guy has problems. He's a huge problem for America, too, but he doesn't like people like me pointing it out, that's for sure. You know how there are all these people out there that tell you, you have to take COVID super seriously? And if you don't, you're a bad person. If you don't, there's something wrong with you. Well, San Francisco's mayor, London Breed, is somebody who is all about the rules and has very strict rules for everybody in San Francisco. But here's the problem. She has been seen in the past, partying, no mask on, in a city where she has implemented a mask mandate. But she said that she was moved by the spirit or something and really just wanted to party. We didn't realize that was some kind of loophole in the whole COVID policy thing, because I always want to party. But this is what she said when she was caught recently violating her own mandates while partying for the second time. I'm sorry, that was just actually her partying without a mask on. So I don't even know if anyone said anything. Someone said something there. But yeah, she's partying without a mask on. Now, again, I think everyone should party without a mask on always. Apparently, I'm a very festive fellow. But she wants to make sure that you, if you are in San Francisco, can't do that. But she doesn't obey her own rules. Why? Does she not take the virus seriously? What's really going on with that? Matthew McConaughey, good actor. Would he be a good politician? I guess we'll never know, because he has announced that he is not going to run for governor of Texas. As a simple kid born in the little town of Uvalde, Texas, it never occurred to me that I would one day be considered for political leadership. It's a humbling and inspiring path to ponder. It is also a path that I'm choosing not to take at this moment.
What am I going to do? I'm going to continue to work and invest the bounty I have by supporting entrepreneurs, businesses, and foundations that I believe are leaders, establishments that I believe are creating pathways for people to succeed in life, organizations that have a mission to serve and build trust while also generating prosperity. That's the American dream. Prosperity. Oh, yeah. Likeable enough guy. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line, the No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Till time.